Well, happy 4th of July, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here as we celebrate uh, well, a massive, massive idea, a massive, massive reality in this nation. I mean, uh, from 1776 for now, 245 years, July 4th has been celebrated as the birth of American independence, American independence. And that, that idea of American independence, I think, is such an important concept, and I think it impacts us in so many ways. So uh, what I wanted to do this morning is in the context of the series we've been, we've been doing called Me, Myself, and Why, I wanted to take a little bit of time and, and dive a little deeper into American independence and some of what that stands for. I think it's a big, big deal. So if you don't mind kind of forgiving a South African as I dive into a little bit of American history, go with me on a little journey as we talk about this. Uh, I think it's really fascinating and I think really important. I think there's something we can grab a hold of here. Uh, when Thomas Jefferson and, and, and a group of people were tasked to write the Declaration of Independence, I don't know if you know this, the Continental Congress also asked them to do something else. And that is, they wanted them, while they were doing this, to come up with an emblem, design a, a national coat of arms that would um, kind of be the, the seal, the, the, the depiction of this new country, this new nation, and it would kind of represent the ideals of this nation as well. So as they wrote this incredible Declaration of Independence, they also were kind of drawing an emblem, and they presented both, and they liked the Declaration of Independence, but they thought the, the emblem was really bad, so nobody liked it. <laughs> and so they tabled that, they took the Declaration of Independence, they were obviously great writers, but not great artists. So they, they tabled that for a year, and about five years later, six years later, they asked Charles Thompson to try again. And he took all the best parts of the previous attempts at the seal, at this emblem, this coat of arms, and he put it together and he submitted a final draft to Congress on June 13, 1782. And they adopted it as the seal, the great seal is what it's called, the great seal of the United States of America. And that seal is now, still used today, put on every important document, ratified everything that the US government says. And it's also on the back of the US $1 bill. It's right over there. You have to look really close because it's small, but it's right there. And that's the seal that this guy came up with and that was adopted by Congress. Now, the reason I bring it up in the context of this series, me, myself, and why, is because one of the important aspects of the seal, this emblem, the seal of the United States, is that in the eagle's mouth is a scroll. And on that scroll, it says these Latin words, e pluribus unum. E pluribus unum. And the Latin, the, those are Latin words, and the meaning of that is this, out of many, one. Out of the many comes one. So from the very beginning of this nation, one of the most important realities, one of the things that this nation stood for was the reality that there is strength and beauty and good in many coming together, in the different coming together to be one. That there was strength in diversity coming together to find unity. So the Declaration of Independence was not only about freedom and independence, but America foundationally has a beautiful respect and honor for the diversity that we are as humans. That we can be stronger that we can be one from many and find unity in diversity and that we can be, like I said, stronger 
together. And I absolutely love that. It's so amazing. And it is at the heart of this nation. And it's been memorialized in the founding documents as something to live by and to aspire to and to define how we live as Americans. It really is beautiful. And again, you know, I'm saying that as a South African who wasn't born here, but who has lived here for many years now and has really enjoyed studying the history and the founding and the beauty and the strength of founding this nation. And having that as part of the nation, these ideals and these standards, it really is amazing. It's such a beautiful thing. But <laughs> what's interesting and a little difficult and a little scary is that even in the beauty and the wisdom and the strength of the founding of such a powerful nation, it would seem like there is something stuck in the human heart. In the middle of founding this nation with those beautiful ideals, it seems like there's something stuck in the human heart, and this is all humans throughout history, it would seem, that struggles to live up to the standards and the dreams that we create. It would seem that while those were the ideals that we set up as the foundation of this nation, it seems like there's something stuck in the human heart that keeps us from actually living up to those dreams. Let me see if I can explain this. And, and we've all seen this. We all know this to be true historically and more. You see, while e pluribus unum, out of the many, one was lauded as the motto of America, and it's on the seal that ratifies all the official documents showing that the idea that we honor the many and can only be strong, a strong, beautiful one, when we honor the many, because our human hearts seem to be more defined by me, myself, and I, there were some within that many who were not honored or valued or seen as in the same light as the rest of the many because of the color of their skin. It seems like there is something in the human heart that struggles to live up to our own standards. <laughs> Even though they were declared and written down and put on the seal of America. And then even though one of the driving forces in declaring independence as a nation was freedom from tyranny, because as humans, we are defined more by me, myself, and I, we typically only want things for ourselves and for others who are like us. So while the United States from the very beginning espoused freedom and independence, that freedom was not afforded to many people who looked different because of the color of their skin. And slavery was held onto <laughs> for nearly 100 years after America declared independence, freedom. After that happened, for nearly 100 years, slavery was still held on to. So it's really interesting and difficult and, and scary that while we as humans fight for freedom and espouse unity in diversity, we struggle to live up to those standards. Now, obviously, America has seen the hypocrisy of that, and last month was somewhat of a massive celebration because Congress unanimously passed, and whenever Congress does something unanimously, it's a pretty big deal, actually, I think. But Congress unanimously voted the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act into law. 
declaring Juneteenth a national public holiday that recognizes the final emancipation of slaves in the U.S. So we've seen the mess. We've seen the hypocrisy of declaring some things and then not living up to it. And while I know there are so many complications and implications of all of this that I've kind of said and brought up, the reason I bring it up today is because it so clearly points to the reality that in the human heart, while we espouse these beautiful things, while we desire them and pursue them and we want them and we talk about them and we declare them, there is something in the human heart more defined by me, myself, and I. There is something in the human heart more concerned about me and my life and my hopes and my views. There's something in us that tends towards self and selfishness that we just struggle to overcome. I mean, this last year, we saw it again, just how incredibly ununited the United States are. So while we espouse unity, it seems like we consistently somehow lean towards disunity. While we espouse freedom, we often only want it for ourselves. While we espouse unity in diversity, we struggle to truly honor and value the differences within diversity. We say, yes, unity in diversity, but we struggle with the differences. Why are there differences in diversity? We struggle with that because we like ourselves and we like our Ways. And listen, this is not just an American thing. I think this is a historical thing. This is a human thing. So I'm not speaking about America. I'm speaking about us as humans. You can see it throughout history. There are so many examples of espousing a certain standard, desire, and not living up to it. There's so many examples. I'll only give just a few. Um, you can see it in how the Roman Empire treated their own citizens and their own people and the people that they sort of had, the nations around them. You can see it in, in the church at points. Because there are some dark moments in the history of the church. Think about the Crusades. If you don't know what the Crusades are, the Crusades are when there was a season where Christians who, who literally said, I am honoring Jesus. And remember, Jesus was the one who died for people who didn't live up to a standard, who died for people who, didn't, who were different from him. That's who Jesus was. Whereas the church in the Crusades said, we believe in Jesus and went and killed people who didn't believe what they believed. Why? Because there's something in our human heart that says one thing and espouses certain standards and then doesn't live up to it. And, so, and then as a South African, I can speak very firmly about our own history of apartheid and what that did to show the mess of what we say we want and believe and espouse. And we struggle to live up to those things. So this is not just me saying anything about America. This is me exploring something about us as humans. It just seems that while we want some of these things, while we dream of freedom and unity, we seem to trip over something in our own nature, in our own hearts that makes it hard to live up to the standards of freedom, unity, and diversity in all that we want. And then here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize that this isn't just a global thing or a historical thing or a national thing because all those things that happened in the nations and in history happened because there was a group of individuals. So this is not a national, global thing. This is also an individual thing. I think this is a human thing. And you know how I know that? Because we're human, but another big, big reason I know that is because I know me. And I see it 
in me. I've talked a lot about how my marriage happened in the beginning, and I spoke about this last week in part of the series, but how when I came into marriage, I wanted unity and love and strength and beauty and humility and serving one another to be what defined our marriage. I spoke about that. We talked about it. I mean, I vowed it when we got married. I vowed that, and then soon after getting married, I discovered that I actually wanted all of those things just for me. I was more concerned about me, and I didn't have equal concern for my wife and her voice and her needs. And so for years in my marriage, we struggled, and I said one thing, and I said, this is how I want it, and this is what I'm gonna do, and this is what we should do. And yet, I had more concern about me and what I want and not equal concern for her. The reality is, in my own heart, I had these ideals. This is what I want, this is what I want our marriage to be defined by, and I didn't live up to it. Reality is, in my human heart, there is something that pulls toward myself and my comfort and my ways and my view and my opinion and my desires. So while we want unity <laughs> and we celebrate diversity and we want to celebrate in our marriages and in our families and in our teams and in our workplaces, in our churches and in our nation, it seems that there's something that consistently pulls us away from that. And as I've looked at it in me, and as I've looked at it in my kids, and as I've looked at it in my family, and my marriage, and as I've looked at it in the people around me, as I've looked at it in our world, and you kind of go, how does this work? What does it look like? Why? I have discovered that Christianity, I think, offers the best explanation for this. And it offers the most beautiful solution to this, to help us navigate this mess, this inability to live up to it, and the hope that we can. It is beautiful. So what I want to do is I want to kind of look at something that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, Paul was a guy who, man, he grew up in a nation, and, and, and he believed that there was only one race and one people that was good enough for God. That was his belief. And he fought for freedom for him and his people so strongly that he would actually put other people to death who didn't believe what he believed. That's who Paul was. And then he met Jesus. <laughs> and everything changed. Because Jesus was the guy who died for the people who weren't good enough for God. Jesus was the one who died for the people, according to Paul, were not supposed to be in. And he met Jesus after he had died and risen again, and he's like, oh my gosh, this changes the story. And something in Paul changed, not only his understanding of things, but his own heart deep inside him changed. And for the rest of his life, he went around the known world, the Roman world, telling people about this Jesus, about this hope that we struggle to live up to our own ideals and saying, hey, there is another way and your heart can actually change. And so on his travels, he, he stopped in a city called Corinth, Corinth was a wild city, a crazy city. So much weird and wild things happened there. And some people in that city kind of believed in Jesus. But the problem was these people still kind of lived within the disunity of their own world. They struggled. This group of people was the most sort of self-centered group that we, if you read his letters to the Corinthians, you see that this group of people was so self-centered and so disunified and they lived in the city that believed so many things contrary to what they believed. And so Paul wrote them this letter saying, guys, there's another way. Guys, if you wanna live up to these ideals, this unity, this, this seeing and valuing and finding equal concern for others, there is another 
way. And he writes this letter. So I want to jump into this uh, right in the middle of his conversation because Paul uses this brilliant illustration saying, hey, there is diversity and it's a good thing. It's actually what God intended. And if we can have equal concern for one another, it will make things better. So we're going to dive in in the conversation in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. He says this, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many the body, the human body, uses the illustration of the human body, and we can see this, this makes sense. The human body is not made up of one part, but of many different parts. Verse 15, he says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. It doesn't matter what part you play in the body, you are a part of the body, you're still that part, just as much as a foot or an ear is. Verse 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, First of all, you know, I'll just pause you and say, wouldn't that be super weird? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Sorry, some things in my mind. You're looking good today. Excuse the pun if you were just an eye. Sorry, my bad. Let's just keep going. Pretend I didn't say that, okay? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? We can't all be the same. If everybody was the same, we wouldn't be the strong, beautiful thing that we're supposed to be. We wouldn't be able to understand the full picture, hear the full picture, see the full picture. Christianity teaches that the differences among us, those differences that sometimes make us think we're better than other people, those differences that make us sometimes feel insecure because we see other people in some spot, the differences that sometimes frustrate us because why can't they just think like I think? Those differences are all intentionally designed, this is what Christianity teaches, intentionally designed by God. Look at what verse 18 says. In fact, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has made it that way. So I don't know if you need to hear this today or not, but if you're here going, am I even important to God? I think from this, I would say God looks at you and says, yes, you are so I made you, I gifted you. You are so important to me. Verse 19 continues, he says, if there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So I think what Paul is saying is pretty clear. He's saying, okay, the body is made up of different parts, and those different parts have to be different. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a body. If the finger operated like an ear, it would be a really bad finger. If the ear operated like a toe, man, you wouldn't, it wouldn't work. They have to be different, and God did that on purpose. Paul continues in verse 21, he says, the eye, therefore, it has to be different and it has to come together and be together. The eye, therefore, cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And it's so funny, man, when we think about it in terms of a human body, that makes so much sense. It's almost like we don't even have to talk about it. I mean, the finger has to be a finger. It, it makes sense. And why would I want the finger to act like a knee? If the finger acted like a knee, it wouldn't work. It makes so much sense when we're talking about the body. But when we start talking about us and about me and what I want, 
and my perspective, and we understand our relationships and our community and the people around us, our husbands, our wives, our siblings, we struggle to see the beauty and the strength in the difference. And we wonder, why are you like that? The eye doesn't say to the knee, why are you like that? Why can't you do what I do? It doesn't say that. It would be weird if it said that, and yet we do it all the time, and that's why I think this illustration is brilliant. We don't, it makes so much sense with the body, but then when it comes to us, we feel like, well, I see better than you. I don't need to learn from you. I don't need to see your perspective. I don't need to hear your thoughts. I don't need to hear your mind. I don't need to concern myself with what you think. Why do we think that? But Paul goes on, verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body, and I love this, I love how he depicts this, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Then he says, but God, here it is again, God has put the body together, giving, and I love this line, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. I love that because we struggle to do that sometimes. But God, there it is again, he loves you. He values you. He gives greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And then Paul says these two words, so that. All of that, if, if all of that's true, this is really important. If what Paul has said is all is true, that God has created different parts of the body to be different to see differently, to think differently, to do differently, and each of us actually needs the others. If that's true, and God values each part tremendously, then he does that so that there should be no division, no opposing groups that are always in conflict and act against each other and contrary to each other. That's why he did it, so that there'll be no division, and then that its parts should have, here's these two words, and I want us to remember these, equal concern for each other, that we will have equal concern. If it's true that God made us different on purpose and we need each other and he values each one of us, we should have equal concern for each other. You see, if we could see others, especially people who are different from us, in our community, in our nation, in our families, in our marriages, if we could see those people, see the other as having equal value, equal importance, an equal voice, and have equal concern for their needs, I think it would change everything. I think it would change our relationship. When, when, when I realized, and this is embarrassing to talk about, but it's real, so I'm gonna talk about it. When I realized that my wife's views and thoughts and differences should have equal value. Now, why did I not realize that? That's the embarrassing part. But I know I didn't. For some reason, I didn't. It's crazy that I never realized it. I did in theory. I talked about it, I knew it in theory, I said it in my vows, the founding document of my marriage. I said it then, but something in me made me have more concern about myself, about my comfort, about my ways, and I did not have equal concern for her. But when I started to, <laughs> our marriage was way better, you should ask her. <laughs> 
when I started to have equal concern for her, for her voice, her desires, her perspectives, everything changed. Everything. I think if in our families, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our marriages, if we had equal concern for each other, it would cause us to listen more with equal concern for their thoughts and speak less for concern about mine. I think it would lead us to understanding and compassion and valuing the other, and as a result, lead to the different parts of the body, the knee, the ankle, the, the, the hand, the elbow, coming together, working together to make a whole much stronger and much more beautiful, and it starts with equal concern. If I truly have equal concern for you, even though you see it differently, you should see it differently. If I have equal concern, strength comes from that. I believe if we live this principle of equal concern, that is in the founding declaration of this nation, all men are created equal. If we had equal concern, I think it would change so much of the disunity and the struggle we face in this world. I think it would move us from divided debates to concerned conversations where we could learn from each other and do the most good. And I believe that nationally, I believe it in community, city, I believe it in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces. It's so obvious when we think about it with the body, but it isn't that obvious when we think about ourselves and the people who are different from us and disagree with us. Why is that? Why can we see it so clearly with the body? and we struggle to see it with ourselves. I mean, if I'm an eye, and I see things one way, like an eye does, and some other person, either someone far from me or my wife, is like a hand who is different and sees things differently, why can't I just naturally value them and have equal concern for them? Why can't I do that? I mean, it's what we want, we want it, it's in our marriage vows, it's in our declaration of independence, so why do we struggle so much? With that, now, <clears throat> I don't know if I can speak for politics. I, don't, I can't speak for politics, and I can't speak for running a nation. But I can speak about what Christianity says. And here's the deal. So often, when we come to Christianity or when we come to the Bible, we try to look to the Bible or Christianity for practical advice. And that's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing to want to do that. But we ask the question, how should I fix this? What should I do to fix this? But if that's all we do, then we miss the entire point of Christianity. We may miss Christianity if we're just coming for practical advice because Christianity does not say, if you could just be better, it would work. It doesn't say, if you could just have equal concern for others, yes, it's beautiful. If we could have equal concern, it would be wonderful. But Christianity does not say, if you could just have equal concern for each other, it will work. You know what Christianity says? It says this, you don't have equal concern for others. In fact, it says this, you can't have equal concern for others. I mean, if you look at the entire Old Testament, it's literally a book, a, a story of how badly we didn't live up to our standards. <laughs> how badly we struggle to live up to God's standards. That's the picture 
of the Old Testament. And the reason, I mean, we see that all over. Declaration, it's so clear. Marriage vows, so clear. We struggle, and Christianity says we struggle, and the reason it gives for the, for, the, for the fact that we struggle to live up to these own desires and standards and ideals is because, this is the, the reason Christianity offers, is because we have a broken human nature. And as a result, we will always be more concerned about me, myself, and I. And we will always struggle to show equal concern for others. That's what Christianity teaches. And so an instruction to have equal concern, a declaration, a vow, while it's beautiful and something to aspire to, it doesn't and it cannot change our hearts. An instruction can't change our hearts. A declaration can't change our hearts. A vow can't change our hearts. They're beautiful, but they can't change our hearts. We need help. And if we want to live up to these things that we aspire to, we need help. And the beautiful thing is Christianity offers not only the beautiful instruction of have equal concern, because if you really have equal concern, it'll change everything. It doesn't only offer that instruction or that advice. It offers the help to actually live it. You see in the verses right before the one we started with today, Paul actually shows us that help explains that help. He shows us, I'm about to give you some advice, but if you don't have the foundation for that advice, that advice will never help. It'll just be another thing you declare, another thing you vow, another thing you say, another thing you instruct. But with the foundation, man, it can change things. And so Paul gives us the help, the foundation that we need to stand on. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, he starts the conversation. He says, just as a body Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. With Christ, this can work. With Christ, you can find unity with diversity. You can value others. You can have equal concern. This is like that with Christ. Verse 13, he says, here's the help. Here's the, the foundation. For we, and he's talking to Christians, people who have acknowledged Jesus as who he says he is, acknowledged that he's the son of God, acknowledged that he died for our sins to give us hope and new life and help. For we were all baptized. People who trusted Christ were baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Baptized means immersed in. And what he's saying is when you trust in Jesus, somehow, and I, I don't know how fully to explain this, but somehow we are immersed into his spirit. A spirit defined by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. A spirit who, who, who gives himself others. The spirit of Jesus who died for us. And he begins to define us. And then Paul says, oh, it's so brilliant. He, he explains, if that's true, if the spirit of God can actually begin to define us when we trust him, then it's possible in the worst case scenario to find hope and unity and diversity. Look at the examples he gives. He says, whether Jews or Gentiles, one of the most contentious relationships in history, or slaves or free, even there, in a place where, where 
people are not valuing human beings as people you know, created in the image of God with the disunity and the struggle with that of slaves and free. Paul says, even with Jews and Gentiles, slaves or free, we can be one. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Doesn't matter who you are, the one spirit can define us. And I love that he says to drink because he had just said baptized into, so that's sort of immersed in, but drink sort of depicts that we also, the spirit indwells us somehow and takes over. I mean, what if that is true? That's what Christianity teaches. What if that's true? What if the spirit, which is again a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that's the fruit of the spirit. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if that's the spirit in us? And that same spirit honors people, values people. And he's in us and around us. What if that's true? Wouldn't that change our relationships? Because if he is in me and he honors and has made my wife with value and honor and he has made the people I bump into in life with value and honor and he has made the people I work with with value and honor and he has even made the people across the aisle from me politically with value and honor what if it's true that he is in us? That's when Paul gets to the verse we started with. And that's when he says in verse 14, even so, because of that, in this way, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Right there is a hope that no matter how different we are, no matter what our background, no matter what history, no matter what race, no matter what stuff I've done, you've done, no matter how differently we see it, in Him, <laughs> there is the possibility to find the beauty and diversity, the strength and the many becoming one. It seems that Paul was telling these Corinthians that if they wanted to experience the beauty and the strength of unity and diversity of out of the many one, they needed not to depend on their own ability to do it because they couldn't. They needed to surrender, to say, I can't, I need help. And if the Spirit of God actually entered their lives and changed their hearts, it was possible to find that beauty to find that ability to have equal concern for others. I believe, I believe this, and I think Christianity teaches this. The only way we will actually be able to find equal concern for others is when we admit we can't. When we acknowledge we don't. And that we need the spirit of Jesus who had so much concern for others that he died for them to enter the picture, enter their hearts, to help change their hearts. In other words, <clears throat> it is only in dependence on God, not independence from God, that we find the ability to live up to these beautiful desires that we have, that we want. It's only in dependence on God, not independence from God, that we find the ability to live up 
to these beautiful desires, which kind of brings me back to the history of Independence Day. Because what's interesting is that one of the driving factors of declaring independence as a nation was so that Americans could depend on God in the way that wasn't defined by another nation or, or you know, state. In other words, religious liberty. The reason Americans wanted to declare independence was so they could have religious liberty. In other words, depend on God in the way they saw was the right way. The famous line from the Declaration of Independence is this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And in describing the development of the Constitution, one article I read said this, in 1787, 55 delegates to the Constitutional Convention gathered in the city of Philadelphia to debate the foundational document of this newly formed United States. Despite their individual differences, these men professed a belief in God as the creator of the universe. And they believed, this is so interesting, in the founding of this nation, they believed that religion encouraged a moral citizenry which they deemed essential to the success of the new republic. They deemed it essential. And then it's just interesting that while e pluribus unum is the motto of the great seal of the United States, it's not the official motto of America. The official motto of America that was voted in by Congress is this, in God we trust. So while I'm not a historian, <laughs> it seems that they deemed dependence on God essential to the health and success of this nation. They deemed dependence on God. What if we lived that? What if we could live our American independence in dependence on God? <laughs> I think things would look different. And listen, if, if you're not a Christian, I just wanna acknowledge that maybe because the reason you're not a Christian is because you've seen Christians not do this. And the Christians or the churches you've bumped into have not looked anything like Jesus. And they've been so disunifying and so mean and so judgmental and so whatever it was, I just wanna acknowledge, yes, I've seen that too and it's not cool and, and it hurts and, and I don't blame you for not wanting to be a part of that, but that's not Jesus. Jesus loved people who were different. He died for them. He died for them, that's Jesus. He is defined by sacrifice, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's who Jesus is and this other stuff is when we are defined by me, myself, and I, when we're defined by ourselves. But when we, like Paul calls us to, to be defined by him, things change. If we could acknowledge, I'm telling you, this is so important, if we could acknowledge our own humanity and our own inability to live up to our own standards, let alone God's, and if we could trust Christ, that beautiful, loving Christ, I'm telling you, if we could do that and live defined by his spirit, not in independence from God, but in dependence on God, I believe our homes would look different, our relationships would look different, and I believe if Christians could truly live out the heart and the fruit of the spirit in us, our nation would look different. I really believe that. 
I, I see this in my own life. You see, living in dependence on God for me looks like this when I remember <laughs> that my human nature is more concerned about me and does not have equal concern for others. Living remembering that every day, remembering my human nature is gonna draw me to me. It's just going to every day. And if I remember that and then I remember, oh my gosh, God loves me anyway. Thank you, God. <laughs> and he's put his spirit in me, his spirit that has more concern for others, as much concern for them as he does for me. So when I remember my humanity and his life in me, it changes the way I see myself and it changes the way I see others and it changes the way I respond and how I listen and how I value and my concern for others. It helps me have equal concern for others. It changes it. What if we could live that? It changes things. So on this Independence Day, I wanna leave you with just a few questions to think about this idea, to think about these things. First question is this, where do I lack equal concern for those who are different from me? Whether it's in my family, my community, my country, where do I lack equal concern for those who are different from me? Second question, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, as a Christian, am I more defined by me or by his spirit in me? Am I more defined by me or his spirit? In me. And finally, do I see my humanness and do I live in dependence on him? Do I see my humanness and do I live in dependence on him? If we could see that, I believe we'd have equal concern for those around us and I believe it would change everything and help us live up to the ideals, the declarations, the vows we make. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. I am so grateful that even though <laughs> I know I'm more defined by me, that you love me. Jesus, that you saw that, you know wholly all the mess, all the selfishness, all the everything, and you died for me. I'm fully loved. And then you go further, you say, hey, I can change your heart, I can put my spirit in you. Thank you, God. And I pray, Father, for all of us that we can see that, that we can see ourselves, our need to, for help to live up to our ideals and your ideals, and that we can surrender and, and trust you and depend, live in dependence on you as we navigate relationships in our world and our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.